And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Well, good Sunday afternoon. Welcome to Connecting the Dots. Uh, Mark, I see you're on with us. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we were going to talk with you about the uh, uh, forest fires in California right now. But uh, we uh, this uh, uh, Richard Brame is a gentleman who spoke at our last Red Pill Expo, and he was talking about things like the Maui fire, how uh, so many of these things defy any kind of uh, normal explanation. But I know you've been flying uh, aircraft, you've been flying tankers and uh, putting out a lot of these fires. I know that there are some normal fires out there. I know that there are some real questionable fires out there. I. I want to get your input in um, the fires you've seen. A lot of them have to do with just uh, forest management practices. But uh, I also know that a lot of the uh, uh, fires that you've been dealing with have been uh, the kind of ecological disasters that uh, come from, um, you know, a 50-year uh, timber uh sequester on cutting trees and things like that and uh, an overfuel situation. So, uh, Mark, first of all, welcome to the program. Let's uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Talk about your work. Um, I mentioned earlier in the very early part of the broadcast that uh, you are one of the original founders of the State of Jefferson movement. Uh, you've been very active in that for a long time. You are running for state senator in uh, Northern California. And I know that you are uh, uh, also right now, you're on a two-week on, two-week off uh, uh, as a commercial pilot flying tankers. So uh, with that said, I'll, I'll leave it to you and let you kind of lead into where you want to go with this discussion. Well, thanks for having me on, Dan. Sorry I had trouble getting on earlier, but I did finally make it. So, yeah, I've been flying fires for years, and I'm also a former deputy sheriff in my county, and uh, I've been involved in, uh, you know, drug interdiction and all kinds of stuff. And 
and, and I've been a pilot for 50 years plus. So this uh, fire tanker business, I've been in about seven years and that's just kind of uh, my retirement job. But, but what I see is a, a lack of political will to uh, either prevent fires in the first instance and to put fires out in the second instance and to manage properly um, forest and, and former farmland. Uh, what, we're, what we're suffering through here as people in this nation, and it's not limited to us, it's all over the world, by the way, is a, a, uh, an agenda by the environmentalists to intentionally fail to manage the land that we've been given dominion over, uh, uh, God said in the Bible that man was given dominion over the earth. In other words, you got to manage it. And if you fail to manage, and I think C.S. Lewis had a great uh, discussion in a book that he wrote where he had a famous atheist over at his house and they were talking about the garden out and back. And C.S. Lewis said, well, are, are you teaching your kids um, anything about religion? He, oh, no, no, I'm going to let them. The atheist responds, no, I'm going to let them make up their own minds. They can do what they think they need to do. And so Lewis invites him out to the garden in back of the house. And then the atheist says, well, that's the worst weed patch I ever saw in my life. There's nothing, nothing attractive or pretty growing there. There's no, no vegetables, nothing productive. And, and Lewis said, well, I didn't, I didn't want to plant the garden. I, I wanted to just let it, let it be and, and, and see what developed. And that's what the environmentalist agenda is on this planet right now is they, uh, they want everything left alone. What they want to do is, is they want to preserve the environment in some imaginary snapshot that they have in their own head. And then that snapshot is supposed to be saved forever and ever exactly as it is now. And as we all know, the only constant in the universe is change. And you have to manage these lands. So, for example, on Maui, where all the farmers departed because uh, of the economy or, or the environmentalist agenda or the regulations or taxes or who knows what. And then as that land lies fallow with no management whatsoever, invasive species and bracken of the most uh, dense kind grow in its place. And that's just a understory for a bad burn that's going to happen eventually at some point, no matter what you do. And California forests are much the same way. They've been preserved for the last hundred years and it was bad to cut down a tree and oh, you just want to, all you people just want to kill all the trees and so on. And so now we have a situation like they had in Australia a couple of years ago. And it's what I call a cow hair forest where the trees are much too small. They're, they're far too close together and they're perfect to burn. They're the right thickness. They, they can't survive a fire when they catch fire, they burn very hot. Um, and I've seen places uh, out here where the topsoil was turned into volcanic glass. The fires burned so hot. And then once you get these fires going, now, now the uh, common wisdom among the environmentalists has changed uh, to they, they have a new term. They call it fire-adapted ecology, where they claim that forests are adapted to fire. And yeah, they were when it had we done the right thing a hundred years ago and, uh, and done controlled burns and allowed uh, places to burn where it was safe to do so and manage the forest mechanically. Yeah, that's true. But after uh, not cutting trees for a hundred, 150 years, in some cases, now you can't just throw your hands up in the air and say, Oh, well, we'll just let it burn because the burn is so hot and so widespread 
that uh, it achieves nothing. Uh, the, the ground looks like the surface of the moon, and it's going to be that way for three or four or 500 years, maybe maybe uh, for time on, on end, because these things don't magically regenerate themselves uh, as they would naturally if natural situations were allowed to occur all along. And that's the same thing that happened in Maui. And how the fire started is really irrelevant at this point. Uh, a lot of these fires start from poor maintenance and in, in uh, utility company practices or stupid people with matches or campfires or who knows what. But the point is they're not easily managed now once they start. And in some cases, they burn so hot and so fast that human beings are incapable of putting them out. And all we can do is kind of push them around with airplanes and try to move it so it doesn't burn this town down or burn that town down. And in the end, it's winter rain that puts them out. But the damage mm -hmm. is done at that point. Well, um, I, I don't think there's any question that uh, the mismanagement of our forests are significant. It's been that way for, uh, you know, like you said, uh, at least 50 years in Montana. And I think it's... Uh, depending on where we are, it's been uh, up to over a hundred years in some areas. And, um, you know, so the forests are, uh, frankly, they're, they're not healthy anymore anyway. We need to go in and thin and clear those forests out and to use that wood productively. And if we do, then it'll regenerate naturally in a way that uh, is, you know, a whole lot better for the environment because well, then the trees come in. Yeah. yeah, I know in Montana, I've I've flown over millions of acres of dead bug trees that were never exactly. cleared out and never reforested. And, you know, a good crew of tree planters can plant 50,000 trees in a week. These things are not unachievable. You can right. reforest this ground. And when you look at managed land versus unmanaged land, and by managed, I mean private land, private timber ground, after a fire... These guys are clearing those logs out and they have to stomp the fire out to, to chop the tree down to get it out of there. And within a couple of months, they've sprayed the ground, treated it, pulled out the dead wood, reforested it. And within 10 or 15 years, you have this beautiful mixed conifer growth that's 20, 25 feet high where you have forest service lands and, and unmanaged lands uh, by states and, and the United States government. And 20, 30 years in, they're just ready for a secondary burn, and, and they look horrible. So, I, uh, you know, if you have eyes and ears and, and you're a voter and a taxpayer, these things are self-evident, and, and really um, you shouldn't need any more information than what you see with your own eyes and what the government's doing to your land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, uh, talk about some of the fires that you've been uh, you've been involved with recently, and uh, how many acres, and and you know the complexity of those fires, if you would. Well, I mean, a couple of years ago, there was the Dixie Fire that burned down several small towns, including Greenville, and uh, there was the Camp Fire before that that burned down Paradise and Megalia, uh, killed people, displaced thousands and thousands of people who still probably haven't found a permanent home yet. Um, uh, there was a McKinney fire uh, on the Klamath River that burned down seven or 800 homes and uh, countless uh, head of livestock and displaced people and people who, yeah, and, and it's typically the people who can ill afford to relocate. Right. And now, now you can't get fire insurance in a lot of these areas. So 
uh, a lot of people that own homes in these uh, fire-prone areas have no insurance. You, you, you can't afford to buy it. You can go to special government programs where the insurance costs you twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a year, but oftentimes that's more than your mortgage payment. You just can't do it. So now we have people in these danger areas that they don't have insurance and couldn't replace their home if they had to. And that's just the natural progression of government um, meddling and controlling things that they, they don't have any knowledge of. Well, Mark, you and I've talked about this before, but uh, this is all part of policies that uh, is referred to as Agenda 21 2030. And exactly. when you get an area like this where you have fire and people cannot get insurance and they can't replace their home, in a reasonable way, they're forced to move to a stack and pack city somewhere, and uh, they're they're forced to leave their, the area that they want to live. That is kind of part of the program, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, and it, and it's and it's all it's all true, and it's real. And and uh, the original uh, conference um, uh, down in South America, I I flew charters and I took people there, and I I kind of stood in and just listened to what they said and. You know, they, they want to empty rural areas of people. They want everyone under direct control of government in big cities. Um, and you won't have any say. In fact, I think it was Hans Blick that said, uh, you will own nothing and you'll be happier. I, you know, what a pompous uh, fool that guy is. But, you know, it's funny. All of the people that go to these climate conferences and the G5 summits and all the uh, coastal elites and the socialist elites, they're all flying there in corporate jets. I mean, you can't even land at Davos, Switzerland during during those World Economic Forums where they have a private police force keeping ordinary people from listening to how they're, they're trying to control your life. Uh, these things are real. And if we don't wake up and if we don't stand up, then we will be, we will find ourselves and our children will find themselves in a world they don't recognize and don't like and can't live in. Mm -hmm. Well, I know I talked to you about all the private jets at COP27, uh, and you mentioned uh, Davos the, a couple of months earlier that um, in, in Davos that uh, they had something like 400 private jets that flew into that area, and yet the airport is not designed to handle uh, anywhere nearly that number of commercial flights. Yeah, that's ramp saturation. And quite frankly, when you ask these people straight out, why? How do you how do you feel comfortable flying your your uh, your gas guzzler across the ocean to a a a, 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 a save the environment conference? They say, well, we're really important and we have to travel that way. Mm -hmm. But you know, the ordinary people don't. You you shouldn't even have a car. In fact, you should eat bugs instead of meat. You shouldn't have a car. You shouldn't uh, go outside your home. You should be restricted to what you do, what you say, where you go, what you buy. But if you buy what they tell you to buy and pay what they tell you to pay and breathe when they tell you to breathe, uh, then then everybody's going to be okay. Just, mm -hmm. just uh, remember to mind. If you mind and if you submit, uh, we'll save the world for you. Just ask us. We'll tell you. Don't worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah, how this exactly. is supposed to go. Well, it's how it's supposed to go, and incidentally, it's all supposed to, uh, also supposed to go that they reduce the world's population to fewer than a billion people. Now, uh, what's a good way to do that? A really good way to do that is just convince all your children that boys are girls and girls are boys. 
Right. I mean, if you have this deviant behavior, uh, humankind would end in one generation if we all accepted that uh, overwhelmingly. In other words, if everyone on earth said, oh boy, the gay agenda is the way to go, uh, 100% of us should be gay. Well, that would be the end of human beings in one generation. Mm-hmm. So exactly. that's a really excellent way to cut down the population, and you don't even have to kill anybody to do that. Well, and they do plan on killing people because I think uh, if you've been following all the uh, myocarditis and all the issues that have come from the clot shots, uh, it's pretty damned obvious that uh, uh, the COVID-19 was a, a ramping up of uh, using biotechnology to uh, uh, reduce the human population as well. And, and you can even be more surreptitious than that if you listen to creepy Joe Biden, because he's very fond of saying guns are the greatest cause of death in children. He's not right. Abortion is the greatest cause of death in children. You want to you want to stop population growth? Just just kill your own children. I know in California, Article one point one, Article one, Section one point one that was just added last December gives you the constitutional right to murder your own child in in, in utero. Wow. I mean, Article 1 says you have the God-given right to preserve life, but Article 1.1 says you have the, the governmental right to kill your own child. Uh, what the, how, how the heck does that square in a moral society with, with, uh, with God as our judge? And, and the answer is it doesn't. It doesn't. Never has, never will. Well, um, Mark, when uh, we start talking about things like abortion and all the rest that they're doing to us now— um, it's pretty obvious that everything, all roads lead to Paris, and everything that happened in two, uh, 2015 at the Paris Accords, that is all coming back to roost. And um, uh, certainly President Trump wanted to uh, completely do away with the Paris Accords, and he did while he was president. But the second that uh, China Joe got back in the White House, one of the very first things he did was to get back on the uh, Paris Accords. Mm -hmm. That is really what this is all about. It's all about radical environmentalism, reduce population, reduce the uh, amount of uh, well, the amount of control people have not over not only over their environment, but also over their social standard. And if you look at the areas that are being reduced right now, and some of the people, as you said earlier, that have the least ability to fight back, if you look at what's going on in Africa right now, uh, they want a green energy everywhere. But if you look at the people of Africa, if they had cheap, renewable, affordable energy, and I'm talking hydroelectric or nuclear or uh, gas power or coal, uh, those countries would be so much better off. But what the environmentalists are doing now is destroying their ability to be able to live in a uh, an environment where they can uh, call their own shots, as it were. Oh, I totally agree. I've been to Africa many, many times in my past as a contract pilot. And uh, 
they're some of the worst socialist pest holes on earth and uh, they're very subject to socialist and, and environmental control because they have no money. They have no second amendment. They have no means to resist. They have no means to fight. Uh, they spend most of their day just trying to survive. And, and I'm going to make this statement and, and I think people should listen to that here. Affordable energy and affordable food and plentiful water are required for human survival and for human progress affordable energy, and I'm not talking about hydro. I mean, fossil fuels did more to clean up the environment and liberate more people from poverty than any any single achievement human beings have made in the history of mankind. No I mean, question. can you imagine if there were still 200,000 horses pooping in the road in New York every single day, what the environment would look like? I mean, fossil fuels work. They're, they're affordable. They're cheap. They're available. And if you will, the market will take care of the next innovation, whether that's hydrogen or hydro or nuclear, or who cares? I mean, but it is the marketplace and it is innovation that replaces one kind of technology with another that is either more efficient, more plentiful, better, faster, cheaper, safer, however you want to put that, not the government. Government essentially is filled with people who can't get real jobs in, private, in the private sector. That's what government is filled with. And by and large, the ones I've run into are idiots. And if we put all our chips in that basket, we are we deserve what happens to us. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. And we talk about renewable energy, the kind of energy that they're trying to promote right now, wind energy and uh, uh, solar energy are far and away the most expensive and they're the re least reliable. Why in the world would we want to replace our good sound energy systems with this kind of stuff? Well, I mean, the answer that's easy because there's a heck of a lot of money involved because if you want to see the failures of uh, wind and solar, look at uh, Southern Australia, look at Europe, look at England. I mean, they're, they're in trouble there. In uh, mm -hmm. Southern Australia, they had rolling brownouts and rolling blackouts because they decommissioned all their fossil fuel plants. And through there, they had a very socialist uh, prime minister there in that state in Australia. And uh, uh, she threw all their chips in the wind and solar basket and, and it doesn't work and it never will. And it takes more BTUs to build that stuff than they deliver over the life of the project. And even you go to the Mojave Desert and look at the big solar projects. The desert floor is littered with broken mirrors. Um, it looks, it's just trashy. You look at all these big wind projects and 90% of the time, half the turbines aren't even turning. Their ignition mm -hmm. sources in wildfires, they're ugly, they're chopping up birds. And you can't even throw that stuff away because the blades are 100 feet long. I mean, it's hazmat when you go to throw it away. And then mm -hmm. uh, the natural progression is electric cars. Uh, the governor of California says everybody's going to have an electric car by 2035. But then in the next breath, he says, well, don't plug it in, though, because we don't have enough electricity to power them. And every set of electric car batteries takes like 100 tons of cobalt ore mined and 100 mm -hmm. tons of this and 100 tons of that. And uh, what do you do with that garbage? Uh, what do you do with a lithium battery when it's garbage? You can't just throw it away. It's hazmat. These things are a scam. They always were. They're a money scam. And uh, people are buying into it. And uh, I'm sorry to hear that because um, we will be the authors of our own destruction, just like Abraham Lincoln said. Yeah, well, we will. 
And Mark, you said something that's interesting. Have you looked at the resale value of electric vehicles after they're uh, 10 years old and their batteries are no longer good? The yeah. resale on those vehicles is zero. zero. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah there was just an stupid idea. Somebody discovered in China where they have these huge places where brand new electric cars are just sitting there rotting because the technology changed quickly enough that no one would buy the older ones. So they just go and they park them and they're just, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of these things that are just junk now and they never even were used. And I know people that have these electric cars and even the better ones like the Tesla, gee, they, they plan their lives around where they're going to charge up. Okay. We have to drive to Los Angeles. That means we need to stop for 25 minutes here and 40 minutes there. And we'll need a two hour charge before we get to so-and-so. And what, what happens when you need gasoline in your car? You pull over to one of a million gas stations that's open and available. You fill the car up in five minutes and you're on your way. And it's right. absolutely patently ridiculous and stupid to think that one te technology can replace the other just because you want it to be so. Mm -hmm. That's true. And think about how, uh, how difficult that is to plan a trip. Well, guess what? They don't want you taking trips. <laughs> right. uh, Agenda right. 21 says you're not going to travel. That's what 15-minute cities are all about. They want you living and working and being 100% next to the area where uh, all of it takes place in a stack-and-pack city. That's the big plan. And, and when you look at the lives that you'd like to have for your children, wouldn't you say that when you look at your children's future and as you raise them, you would want them to have a life of adventure and innovation and, and travel and exploration and seeing what the world is and what it does and who the different uh, civilizations or societies are and how they interact and just give them as much knowledge and scope and, and, and uh, possibility and potential as you possibly can. I mean, what if you were sitting there contemplating having a child and you say, well, okay, we can always put a day bed the corner of our crummy little one-bedroom apartment on the 95th floor of the stack and pack and and uh you know we don't have a car because there's no place to plug it in but you know if we really really behave and if we really really do the right things for the government maybe they'll let us take our kids to the zoo next year i mean those are your those are your choices folks and they are our choices because here here's the bottom line there are a lot more of us than there are of them we could change this dynamic instantly and immediately if we would just stand together and vote differently nothing more than that all we have to do is all you have to do is open your eyes allow common sense to take over your life and vote differently don't keep doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a different result next time right that's a definition of insanity is uh, mm -hmm. doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result every time that that sure. is not going to work um well mark talk a little bit about uh the state of jefferson and some of the work that you've been doing in california because i know aren't you running for a state senate seat now well that's kind of up in the air um i i have to say dan i don't I don't see much point in pursuing that because I don't think one guy, even if I could win against all the money that's uh, arrayed against me, I don't think one guy can change anything because of uh, uh, the, the court cases, Reynolds versus Sims and Gray versus Sanders and Baker versus Carr. 
those three court cases in the 60s made it so that representation is controlled by the government and it is uh, taken from the people to decide who they want to elect in their local area. And, and so, you know, I don't know about that. I'm not really sure how that's going to go. I do know one thing. Today is the 10th anniversary of the, be- the new beginning of the state of Jefferson. September 3rd, 2013 was when Siskiyou County supervisors passed a resolution to withdraw from the state of California due to lack of representation and dilution of vote. Mm-hmm. It is institutional process. We are still hammering at it. We're looking for ways forward that are legal, moral, and ethical because we uh, have tried the legislative process. And of course, the, the criminals in Sacramento won't allow anything uh, representative to happen there. So we, we ran out of gas on that one. We tried suing them. We spent a million dollars in court and a Democratic operative disguised as a federal judge would never allow a hearing on the merits of the case to happen in five years we spent in court and spent almost a million dollars until we were out of money. And we never once got to hear the case on the merits in front of a federal judge. That's how much trouble this nation is in. So now what we're looking for is we're looking for a way and we need a favorable Congress, a favorable Senate, and we need a conservative president, even though the president is not mentioned in Article 4, Section 3, we believe that would probably become necessary to have his signature so that we can declare the state of California engaged in sedition for violation of uh, harboring and sheltering illegal aliens, illegally transmitting pornographic material to minors in, their, in the public education system, and we can declare this state in sedition and break away from the state without their permission. And we need a lot of things to happen. We need a lot of people to stand up because this is not going to happen if the hundred people that always do all the work are, are the only ones that stand. We need hundreds of thousands of people to declare that they've had enough and they're not going to take it anymore. And we can form our own state and we can start over. And the only way our lives are going to get better is if we send a signal that we will not submit to unconstitutional government, and we demand adequate representation that's responsible to the people and not to themselves or to the rich elite. Well, that's well said. Um, What you're saying is the same thing that we talk about every time we do one one of these podcasts, and that is you can vote with your wallet and you can stand up and say no. Just say no. I mean, people they say, well, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna stand out in a crowd. I I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do that. Uh, folks, you're going to lose all your freedoms and your children and grandchildren will never know freedom unless you stand up and be counted and do that now, not later. And we are at a critical tipping point, aren't we? We're at a point right now where so much of the stuff is in your face. If we don't react to it now, we're not going to get another chance. No, we won't. And you know, my reading of the Bible tells me one thing, and my lesson comes from Jesus himself. We weren't made to fit in. We were made to stand out. If you don't stand out, if all you do is fit in, then you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. One other thing I've done here is I've sued the state of California to restore the inalienable right to openly carry a loaded weapon without government permission. 
five years in court, maybe six, I think now coming up on six, a couple of hundred thousand dollars in front of the same judge that denied us justice in the Jefferson case. Uh, she's a very famous Democratic operative, been in front of her many times. And we are just about to get a summary judgment hearing and she will rule against us because she is a Democratic operative, not a, not a real judge. And then we'll go on to the appellate court. And I think we have a pretty darn good chance of winning based on the last four Supreme Court decisions. I think we, we have a chance to restore uh, a, a Second Amendment protection in the state of California. And that's not so important as it is for people to know that if we can win that, we can win more. And we need to stand together so that we can win again and again and again and turn this train around and get it back on the tracks. Well, you know, we used to talk about the 12th Circuit Court as being one of the worst in the country, but they've had some unusually uh, solid rulings as of late in the last three or four years. Uh, is, is that your take on it, too? Well, in the Ninth Circuit, the mathematics... Uh, Ninth Circuit, I'm sorry. Ninth the mathematics have changed slightly, but I have to say they have ruled against the Second Amendment in 50 out of the last 50 cases. Oh, and, and yeah, and the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin case made mention of that and specifically singled out the Ninth Circuit and the Second Circuit in New York and New Jersey as two of the most offensive courts with regard to unalienable rights. And they laid down the law and they set some standards for all Second Amendment jurisprudence. And the most important of those is if the conduct of the individual complies with the plain text of the amendment, then that conduct is presumptively constitutional. What I seek is the right to keep and bear arms. The conduct I seek is verbatim with the text of the Second Amendment, and, and it, it doesn't differ by a whisker. So, And also, uh, the state argues that the history of the United States, uh, nobody carried a gun, everybody hated guns. You know, they're, they're liars, and they, they made that story up, and it's hundreds of pages long. But what also the Bruin Court said that was very important is that if history and the text of the amendment disagree, the text rules out, and that the Second Amendment is not a second-class right with a different set of rules than all the other amendments, that the Second Amendment should not be the only amendment that we have to ask permission to exercise. Based on those three things alone, we should win our case. And once we restore liberty with Second Amendment guarantees in California, now we can honestly stand up and face the rest of the people and say, help us, and we'll get the rest of it done. But, you know, we, we've got to win one of these things, and this one seems like an easy one to me if I can afford to keep paying for it. But um, I think that there is hope. There's always hope. Where there's life, there's hope. And I think that if we stand together, we can get rid of these bums and, and we can start over and, and do it right this time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's no reason that we shouldn't be able to. Um, you, you were on with Michael Shaw the last time we mm -hmm. did a podcast together. And Michael, is uh, he's involved, he's been involved with that lawsuit against uh, Agenda 21 in the One Bay Area plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's had the same kind of thing. He's had uh, the courts in California, hang on yeah. to the case, hang on to the case, do nothing about mm -hmm. it. And then eventually they say, well, uh, we've waited too long. It no longer 
applies, so we're going to drop it. And uh, that's exactly what they're going to try to do with you, I think. Well, it's what they've been trying to do, but the state made a procedural error, I think. The state said, and and I agree with this position that they've taken, they said all the facts are, are already in evidence. There are no facts left in dispute. That's all true. They don't argue about anything I allege. They don't dispute anything I allege. They just don't think it's wrong. So the state itself asked for a summary judgment. Well, we made a cross motion for a summary judgment in our favor. Well, if both parties ask for summary judgment, the judge doesn't have any choice. She has to give it. Now, we don't think she'll find for us, but that gets it out of her court, which is where we need the suit to be. And in someone else's court, and we can hope. Uh, The last time I was in front of the Ninth Circuit, I had two Trump appointees and one Bush appointee. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty good day in court that day. So there is hope here. And and God is in charge. And I will do his will no matter where that leads me. But I'm firmly convinced that we do have a chance to regain some liberty here. And if we can do that, we can regain some more. And if we can do that, we can regain the rest. But it's going to take hundreds of thousands of people to say, I will not submit and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, you know, I wish more people would listen to that message, but um, uh, I think we're at a tipping point now where they're actually starting to accept that. Have have you seen a change in the last couple of years? I have. I've seen changes in the last two years that uh, astound me because five years ago I was almost ready to throw in the towel, except I don't know what that means. But um, last couple of years, I've seen some hope for our republic. Well, I have too, and I think it came in the form of uh, school districts attacking parents and attacking Christians and denying parents the ability to have any say over their children's education. I, I think they hit a nerve in that one. You know, a lot of people could take or leave the Second Amendment Free speech doesn't mean anything to them because they never speak up anyway. Uh, They don't need the Fourth Amendment because they don't get searched very often. You you see what I mean? So, Mm -hmm. you know, liberty unexercised is liberty lost. But in most people's lives, the enumerated rights don't mean too much to them. But when you go into a school board meeting and the school board uh, filled with bureaucrats tells you to shut up and sit down, that they'll teach your kids any nasty thing they want to, and they will push the transgender agenda without your knowledge and without your permission, and the state of California backs that play, I think perhaps if you walk down any street in in the nation and you ask the average guy, is it okay if I teach your children things about uh, deviant behavior and sexual sexuality at six years old? I think the answer pretty universally would be no. And so I think they struck a nerve on that one and they've gotten themselves in trouble. And they have to double down on it because that's how they do it. And I think people are, I think the pendulum is starting to swing the other direction. And I have, I have hope and faith that we can regain our liberty if we simply stand for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And of course, the big thing they're doing now is trying to push the race card. Everybody mm-hmm. who disagrees with anything that the left is doing is now automatically a racist. Yeah. Uh, you know, that with the, the woke racist crap, I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion of that because 
I know you well enough to know that you, there's not a bit of racism in you any more than there is in me. And the fact is, is that uh, we're, we're perfectly fine with uh, letting an, anyone of any color exist as long as they allow us to exist. Pretty simple, well, isn't it? Well, I mean, when you when you look at the history of this, uh, you know, uh, John C. Calhoun and Jefferson Davis were Democrats. Uh, you know, all of the Southern slave owners, that was the Democratic Party. Andrew Jackson that started the Democratic Party. Uh, they were all the slave owners. Um, John C. Calhoun, uh, uh, the guy that started the, the Ku Klux Klan, uh, General Nathan Bedford Forrest, he was a Democrat. Uh, you know, Joe Biden was a racist for 90% of his life. He still is, I believe. Mm -hmm. he, he changed horses very recently. It was Republicans that voted for the Civil Rights Act in 1968. Uh, Martin Luther King, he was a Republican. Fred Frederick Douglass, the first abolitionist in Washington, D.C., he was a Republican. Republicans uh, fought on the side of the North, and Republicans authored the Emancipation Proclamation. My father uh, was a, a John Birch Society Republican, and we had uh, uh, mixed racial couples at our house all the time that were our friends. Uh, I remember when all this stuff started in the 70s, or uh, excuse me, in the 60s, I grew up in a neighborhood that had uh, Mexicans and uh, and, and uh, other people in it, and we never even talked like that. We never thought like that. We ate at each no. other's houses. We slept at each other's houses. We played together. We did everything together. There were no terms like that then. Those were invented by the federal government and the Census Bureau so that they could start dividing and cataloging people, because on the census before, you never had to put down what race you were. If you were an right. American, you filled out the census card. I've been all over the world. I spent 50 years flying all over the world. I have acquaintances that are more colors than the colors in the rainbow. And each one is an individual to me with a character. And that's how I judge my friends, by their character, not by what they look like. I don't care if you're blind, crippled, or crazy. If, you're, if you have a, a conscience and a good character and honor and integrity, I'll count you as a friend. Uh, but so all of these things were invented to divide us. And, and even look at Martin Luther King. He was mm -hmm. a Republican and a gun owner and a gun carrier. Mm -hmm. it, it ended up not saving his life, but I wish it would have. Uh, you know, so all of these things were invented after the fact in order to divide us. And it was the Democratic Party, the original party of slavery that that started doing it. And they're fostering it right now. So uh, all I can say, folks, is conservative values include everybody, and conservative values are simply objective moral decisions. We have a moral law. It's an objective moral law. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. It's not who's right. It's what's right. And that's how I live my life, and that's how I believe most conservatives live their lives. I, I don't think about race twice in a month, probably, except that I hear it on TV or I see it. I don't have TV, but I hear it in the news and, you know, everything is race, 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 race. Well, they've demeaned the word so much. It doesn't even mean anything anymore. Right. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody cares anymore because it doesn't have any, anything to do with 99% of people's ordinary lives. Mm -hmm. And yet the Democratic Party continues to characterize these things. Well, we can't have voter ID because black people are less likely to have identification. Oh, bull. 
If you go yeah. down to any town in the United States and ask and, and go to the nearest black person and say, do you have ID? I would bet you they'd say yes. And if you asked them, do you know anybody that doesn't have ID because they're black? I'll bet you they'd say no. These things are, are fictitious lies of the most horrible kind, and they were invented to divide us. And I got to say, uh, it worked. Mm -hmm. yeah, divide us and to cheat, because right. the last election was a perfect example of why we should never have adopted the motor voter laws, why uh, mail-in voting, uh, when Jimmy Carter, of all people, uh, studied uh, the voting and how to keep honest elections, he was the first one to say that you cannot do it with all of these mail-in ballots. You've got to have valid ID. You've got to have a way to make sure the signatures are accurate, and you cannot do that with mail-in ballots. So, If you have a legitimate nation with legitimate borders, you have two things that are inalienable to you as a nation. You need to know who votes so that you can ensure that they are actually registered and lawful voters. And you need to know who comes into your country and how. I mean, I have, I have no problem with lawful immigration. I have lots of friends that are lawful immigrants. I and what's too. saddest to me is I know people in other countries that have been trying to be come to the United States lawfully for 10, 15, and 20 years. And to open up that southern border like uh, Creepy Joe and his buddies have done is a slap in the face to everybody on this planet that follows the rules and has the honor and integrity to try to come here lawfully. And lawful immigrants built this nation, but illegal immigrants are going to destroy it if we allow that. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark, we did a program on that on Tuesday, as a matter of fact, because of all places that refuse to recognize immigrants uh, who are uh, worried about their government destroying them, white Afrikaners are now unable to immigrate to the United States because they say there is no uh, there's no way that the South African government is trying to uh, murder them or to destroy them. Uh, and they've openly stated it. Uh, they sing songs called Murder the Boer. And yeah. uh, they do it openly. We've got people who are trying to get in this country from South Africa, and they can't come into the United States legally, mm -hmm. but they can go down to the Mexican border and come in illegally. That's the only way well, they can get in. Well, that's right. And they're catching Ukrainians and Syrians and Russians and everybody on the southern border because they found out that lawful immigration is a joke. And that all you have to do is make it to the southern border and they'll let you in with no bail and no court date, no nothing, and off you go. And you're free to break the law and, and do whatever you please, things that U.S. citizens aren't, aren't free to do. And we have a, a federal law, Title 18, Section 1324, says that it is illegal. Now, the Democrats changed the law, and it now it used to say it is illegal to harbor and shield illegal aliens and to aid and abet their uh, coming into the country but it now says it's illegal to harbor and shield certain types of aliens. That's what it, that's how it reads now. Well, what types of aliens would those be? 
I know, mm-hmm. illegal aliens. So it is unlawful, it is a federal crime to harbor and shield an illegal alien or facilitate their entry into the country, and that's uh, Title 8, 1324 through about 1328. And the President of the United States is guilty of, he's a federal felon. The Governor mm-hmm. of California is a federal felon. The legislature of California, in any sanctuary state, any exactly. official in any sanctuary city, they're felons. And here they are telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, um, we we tar- started this conversation about uh, forest fires. I <laughs> wanted to try try to uh, get back to that. Uh, what do you see changing? Do you see any changes in our federal government in the way they approach forest management? Do you think there's any salvation under the current system? Or are we going to have to? Uh, fire every damn one of them and start over. Well, yeah, I see a lot of changes. It's getting worse. Uh, All of the people in the United States Forest Service that had experience in forestry and watershed management and so on and so forth have left. They've either uh, graduated and retired or they got tired of it and they quit and went to private industry or whatever. And the only people left have no experience in aviation. They have no experience or very little experience, real experience in forestry. And I see it getting worse and worse until uh, some catastrophe happens that sheds the light of day on the whole deal. And I don't know even if that will help. Well, I'm sorry to say I think you're right. Uh, Do you you have any ideas about ways that we can uh, get people in California and around the country uh, to get more involved? Uh, How can they get more involved? And how can they help you in your fight? Well, I mean, they can help me by contributing to the lawsuit because court's expensive. But but other than that, um, I, I you know, you have to want to be involved and you have to want to educate yourself. And, and I think that one way we can do that is if, if we as guys who stand up for ourselves, you and I and, and a lot of people that you know and that I know who are working actively to change the dynamic here, if we can manage to win a couple of these things, then that draws people out to say, hey, wait a minute, this is possible. I think that people feel so beat up right now, they don't think we can win these things. And, and I hope and pray that they're wrong. I think they're wrong. And I think that the best we can do is press on and you keep doing the work you're doing. And, and uh, I think we should all keep doing our work and not give up and not quit and not submit. And if we can manage to win a couple of these fights, then that will open the door to win more. And I, that's, that's all I, that's a pretty poor plan. I got to say, as a former soldier looking at a battle plan, that's a pretty poor plan, but it's the only one we got. We've got to, we've got to force, the narrative. We've got to win a couple of these things. And then we have to be diligent in telling people, if you want to win the rest, you need to help us. No, that's right. And it isn't a matter that they don't have the resources. They have the resources, but uh, it it seems like they don't have the determination. Why do you think that uh, guys like George Soros and all these people on the left that have almost unlimited amounts of money uh, to throw into political campaigns and stuff. Why are they so much more effective than people on our side of the issue? Is it just a matter that they're too damn tight and they don't trust 
they don't want to put their money where their mouth is? What is it? Well, I, I think that the part of this is that they get money based on the places that they throw their money. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Gates. He throws his money into this into the pharmaceuticals. They killed 35,000 people in Africa, forcing the sale of dangerous medications to people in Africa, but he was paid handsomely. People that throw their money into this environmental agenda are also the ones that are on the receiving end in these uh, renewable energy corporations. Look at Al Gore. He made more money on the environment than anybody you ever saw in your life. And literally, the, the guy's a do-nothing idiot. So the, the reason they're doing it, the reason they're so successful is because it pays handsomely. If you're buddies with Nancy Pelosi, uh, you can make $6 billion off a, a defunct solar farm called Solyndra. And yeah. you run with the money and you never go to jail and you get to keep the money. Um, if you're Bill Gates or if you're uh, Zuckerberg or if you're one of those people, you have government contracts. And you're, you're handsomely rewarded for contributing to the Democratic Party and to Democratic candidates. And in fact, in California... Uh, Prop one, the old water, or excuse me, yeah, it was Prop one, the old water bond, eight billion dollars, which the people of California are going to pay back at at four forty four million dollars a year for the next forty years. Ninety nine percent of it went to environmental organizations that then turn around and donate to Democratic campaigns, and mm. none of it was used to build water storage. None of it. I mean, like 25 million went to something called the Pacific Ocean Conservancy, whatever that is and whatever they do. Uh, mm -hmm. Another 20 million went to the Santa Monica Mountains Conservancy. What do they have to do with water storage? I don't know, and I don't think anybody can tell you because they don't have anything to do with it. But all that money that's get built out of the taxpayers goes to these pseudo organizations who then who pay themselves handsomely as directors and board members, and then they turn around and they give a large portion back to Democratic candidates. You know, when I was a cop, there are only three reasons for all crime, money, sex, and power. You follow the money and you'll find the root of the crime and you'll find the motive for the crime. So I think these people participate because the reward is uh, astronomical. Well, I think you're right. Mark, how can they, uh, you, do you have a website they can uh, contact you or support you at a website? Uh, I don't, but you know what, Dan, if somebody's got an important question and they go through you, give them my phone number. Okay. I'm fine with that. All right, we'll do that. Well, Mark, thank you for being our guest. Uh, I appreciate you being on. Um, I thank you for doing what you're doing. Keep at it, buddy, because uh, you're right. If we don't do it, nobody else is going to. And um, I, I don't have the heart to say, somebody beat me. I can't let that happen. So let's just keep doing what we're doing. Well, thank you, and God bless you. And there was a very, very ardent patriot who once said, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Yeah, and that happened to be my favorite of all the uh, patriots, and that was Patrick Henry. From the lakes of Minnesota Across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, and New York to L.A., where there's
there's pride in every American heart. And it's time we stand and say.